Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23, going through to verse 18 of chapter 10. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says... This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts 
I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Well, thanks very much, Catherine. Let's um, pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we thank you for that promise that we've just heard read, that you will put your laws in our hearts and you will write them on our minds that our sins and lawless acts you will remember no more. Lord, we do pray that this will be the case this morning. You would write your laws in our hearts and you would fill us with gratitude that our sins have been forgiven and forgotten and all that through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lord, fill us with amazement and awe at all he's done for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the great um, news stories this week, as uh, Jeff um, included in his prayers earlier, was, of course, the rescue of the 12 um, teenage boys in Thailand and their football coach from that cave. Uh, It was a massive operation, if you've read about it, involving more than 90 divers, I think, from all sorts of different countries. The boys were unable to swim, and so they had to be guided out through caves where uh, the mud made visibility very difficult, where at places it was very tight, they had to take off their oxygen tanks and put them through holes and squeeze through themselves before they could get through them. It was a great answer to prayer, wasn't it, Um, to see them all rescued. But um, sadly, one of the divers, uh, a former Thai Navy diver who had volunteered to take part in the rescue mission, uh, lost his life in the process. This was, uh, this was that, that man. He had delivered oxygen for the rescue mission, but didn't have enough for himself on the way out. He sacrificed his life so that others may live. A sacrifice is defined as uh, giving up something of value for the sake of something that is of greater value or greater importance. And we're looking this morning at the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He gave up his life so that humanity may receive eternal life. The key theme of this um, sermon series in Hebrews has been the superiority of Jesus Christ. Um, we've looked at how he is greater than the, the angels. They are heavenly beings, but Jesus is the Son of God. He is divine. He's greater than Moses. Moses rescued God's people from slavery in Egypt, but Jesus rescues us from slavery to sin and death. He's greater than the priests. Uh, last week we looked at um, the fact that Jesus is a greater high priest because he was a mediator of a superior covenant. At the heart of both the old and the new covenants was God promising, I will be your God. I will care for you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. And the people promising, we will be your people. We will trust you. We will obey you. We will worship you. And the reason we're told, as we looked at last week, that the new covenant was greater than the old covenant was because it was based on better promises. The promise that God would change people's hearts to make us want to obey him. The promise that he would make it possible for people to know him, to have a relationship with him, the God of the universe. 
and the promise that he would provide complete forgiveness. And the other key way in which Jesus is greater than the priests is what we're looking at this morning, is that he offered a better sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. And it was that sacrifice that made all of those promises possible. So this uh, passage starts in chapter, um, well, in chapter 10, uh, that chapter starts by describing the old system of sacrifices. It says the law, which includes the Old Testament system of animal sacrifices for sin, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. It was what we call a foreshadowing, an advanced sign of something much better to come in the future. Imagine the, uh, the relief when those Thai um, schoolboys saw those British divers suddenly pop up in front of them. It must have been amazing, mustn't it? But that was a sign of something much greater to come because there will be a whole rescue mission which would take those boys out of where they were in captivity uh, to freedom. And that, of course, is also a sign of a much greater freedom and rescue that we have achieved, and we'll see that uh, later on in the sacrifice of Jesus. So the passage starts by describing the, the inadequacy, the insufficiency of the Old Testament sacrificial system, and the fact that it can never make perfect. It cannot avoid the feeling of guilt, that it cannot take away sins. Have a look at verse 4 there. It says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And the writer contrasts those imperfect sacrifices with the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. That is fully sufficient. And that does all of those things. And the turning point in the passage is verse 5. Where it says, when Christ came into the world... That is the event that the whole of the Old Testament have been looking forward to, when Christ came into the world. And that historic event changed everything. The good things that were to come have now come. Of course the question is, well, how did Jesus' death make the Old Testament sacrificial system redundant? How was it better? Well, the passage here gives us three reasons. And the first of those is that Jesus demonstrated perfect obedience. One of the important things about the the Old Testament um, sacrificial system was that the animals that were sacrificed had to be without blemish. You had to offer your best to the Lord, not animals with defect. And so in the book of Malachi, there was much criticism of how it was dishonoring to God. Um, when people brought their injured, uh, their, their crippled, their, their diseased animals and offered them as sacrifices. And the reason was what God really wanted in sacrifice. It wasn't simply just people went through a ritual. He wasn't interested in that. Now here in verse 5, the writer quotes from Psalm 40. And he says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. What he was looking for was, as um, Jeff prayed earlier on, a contrite and obedient heart. 
David um, in Psalm 51. He recognized that. He said, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Now, the trouble was, it was impossible for God's people to have a a wholehearted obedience to him. We looked at that last week, didn't we, in the New Covenant, to fully submit to him, which is why Jesus came. Um, He demonstrated perfect obedience, perfect submission. The animals didn't choose to die. It wasn't a voluntary sacrifice. They were incapable of making that decision. But Jesus did choose to be fully obedient to the Father. And that is why verse 7 there, uh, that prophecy from Psalm 40 points to it. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And then he repeats that again in verse 9, just showing how important it was. And that submission to the will of the Father started with the incarnation. Verse 5, it says, a body you prepared for me, a body which Jesus was prepared to sacrifice. And in the previous chapter, in verse 26 of chapter 9, it says, He has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Familiar words from Philippians 2, which you may recall, describe the significance of the incarnation as a humble act of submission. Um, these words you can turn to it if you like from Philippians 2 Jesus Christ who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But although Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father, we need to be clear, it wasn't against his own will. Being one with the Father, he shared the same desire of the Father to save humankind. He shared the same love for people. He knew what was necessary for people to be saved, and he was willing to do that. And so he chose the cross. He chose to die. Jesus demonstrated perfect obedience. But secondly, Jesus achieved perfect cleansing. Under the Old Testament system, the priests, we are told, had to offer sacrifices repeatedly. And that sense of repetition comes through very strongly in this passage And verse 1 says the same sacrifice is repeated endlessly year after year. Or verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. There are some things in this life we have to to do repeatedly. Day after day, we have to uh, clean the dishes. We have to clean our clothes, we have to clean our houses, 
We have to clean our bodies. Um, and this heat might have to do that more than once a day. Um, and some maybe do that better than others. Um, the reason is they get, all get messy and dirty, don't they, these things? You can't clean them once and expect them to stay clean forever, great as that might be. And in this language, there's a drudgery about the task that comes through. It's, it's repetitive nature. The sacrifices never quite make you clean. In the same way that dirt accumulates, so does sin. And you had to constantly remove it to come into the presence of God. And even then it was not perfectly removed, so you couldn't come directly into his presence. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and that was just once a year. The annual sacrifice referred to the Day of Atonement. But there would have been various and other types of offering in the Old Testament. The, uh, the burnt offering, the, the peace offering, the, the cereal offering, the sin offering, the, the guilt offering. But the problem with all these offerings was that people still felt guilty. As it says there in verse 2. They still felt guilty. They were a reminder to them. The sacrifices failed to cleanse them completely. Their consciences were still wrapped with guilt. Often um, Catholics will talk about how they, they keep going back to confession but never really feel free from guilt. Father of the, the Reformation, Martin Luther, um, in his early days as a monk, would um, apparently daily wear out his confessors with up to six hours of daily confession. Um, going over every sin in minuscule detail, every unhealthy thought. And even then, he wasn't sure whether he was clean, whether he was acceptable to God. But the good news of the gospel is it's not about us making a sacrifice. Because Jesus made one for us. And his sacrifice was perfect. How was his sacrifice different? How did it achieve perfect cleansing? But if we look at these various references to his sacrifice, we will see the main difference. In verse 10, it says, We've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In verse 12, he offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. Verse 14, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Only one sacrifice was necessary because the one being sacrificed or offering himself for sacrifice was perfect. And because he was perfect, it meant that his sacrifice was effective for all time. It didn't need to be repeated. And so afterwards we are told that he sat down at the right hand of God, the Father. His work was complete. He said on the cross, it is finished. He didn't need to remain standing like the priest here, we're told, day after day stands and performs his religious duties. Through Jesus' sacrifice, we've been made holy. We've been made perfect. It is a completed action. But you might be thinking, well, how can we be made perfect? You know, surely we're still a work in progress. Surely there's a, a long way to go. I know the sins still I keep committing. 
Well, to be made holy or to be made perfect in this sense is to be cleansed from the guilt of sin. It doesn't mean the presence of sin is removed from us yet. But it means we are wholly acceptable to God. Jesus didn't provide a temporary outward cleansing. He took the guilt of sin away. And he did that by taking the punishment that we deserved. He paid the price for all of our wrongdoing. And the result for us is that he provided perfect cleansing. He provided permanent forgiveness. This is a true inner cleansing. Verse 17 repeats the the verse we looked at last week in chapter 8. One of the promises that God makes under the new covenant is that their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Now, it doesn't mean that God forgets everything we did after all. He is all-knowing. He's outside of time. He can see everything we do, past, present, and future. But he chooses not to remember it. He wipes the slate clean. Or in modern terminology, he, he erases the hard disk. And it was possible because Jesus led a perfect life of obedience. In his life, he demonstrated that he was sinless. He never disobeyed God. And it was only because he was perfect that God accepted his sacrifice as being on behalf of the whole of humankind for all of their sins, past, present, and future. The, the Thai diver sacrificed his physical life so that those 13 young Thais could live. But of course, one day they will still die. They will um, grow up, maybe illness, it may be old age. But one day, like all of us, we will die. The sacrifice of Jesus in which he took on himself the sins of the world... The anger of God was to ensure our spiritual rescue so that we can live forever. Jesus said, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus demonstrated perfect obedience. He achieves perfect cleansing. And finally, as a result, we enjoy a perfect relationship with God the Father. Again, we looked at this last week in connection with the benefits of the new covenant, but the author of the Hebrews thinks it's worth repeating, so we'll we'll touch it on again here uh, this morning. What is the basic problem with sin? The basic problem is it stops us having a relationship with God. It puts up a barrier. It prevents us enjoying communion with him. As it says in Psalm 66, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If you're not perfectly cleansed, then you won't have a perfect relationship. You'll have to go through a human intercessor, the priest, like in the Old Testament times. But if sin is taken away and removed for good, then you are free to enjoy unhindered access to God the Father. And that is the amazing thing about the cross. Jesus opens up the way to God. We are made fit for the presence of God. We can come and offer our worship, and it will be acceptable to him. We can come before the throne of God with confidence. 
We need to be cleansed from sin, and once we have been cleansed, we have a permanent right of access to him. Because Jesus' sacrifice was for all time. God exalted him to the highest place. And so now Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He continues to intercede for us. And in the words of the hymn that we'll finish the service with later on, um, it says, He's a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. It's not a continual pleading that the Father will keep letting us off if we promise not to sin again. It doesn't work like that. It's on the basis of the one sacrifice that Jesus has already made and that God has already accepted. And so because if you turn back to chapter 9, verse 24, because of that perfect sacrifice, we are told Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. When the SAS prepare to carry out a rescue mission, they will build a copy of the, the building that they're going to, um, uh, to assault and, pra- and to, to rescue the hostages from. Um, they practice their rescue. But they may do that tens of times, hundreds of times. But the only rescue that really counts, of course, is the real one. Both the tabernacle and the temple were copies of the real thing. When the high priest went into the most holy place of the temple, um, that was where God was symbolically present. But God can't be confined to one fixed time and place. He's bigger than that. And so the priest achieved temporary forgiveness for sins, but it was never meant to be anything more than that. But Jesus, having achieved our perfect cleansing, the true high priest enters heaven itself. He enters the presence of God, where he ensures we have a perfect relationship with him. And having been accepted by God, we now truly belong to him. He's our father. We have a a new covenant with him that we looked at last week. As it says in verse 16, this is the um, covenant that I will make with them after that time. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. As his redeemed people, we want to be obedient to God. But we don't need to struggle on our own. God will implant his laws on our hearts, he will write them in our minds. He will give us the power and the desire to keep them. We won't be perfectly obedient this side of eternity, but because we have been forgiven, he will continue to accept us. So what impact does Christ's perfect sacrifice have on our lives today? What should our attitude be to sin and toward God? Just a couple of um, implications as we as we finish. Well, there are three things. Um, there's probably quite a few more, but three things I want to mention. We don't need to do. And the first of those is we don't need to feel guilty. All of us, I'm sure, have things in our past that we are ashamed of, that we feel guilty about, that we wish we hadn't done, or we didn't do which we wish we wish we had done. 
Um, they may be a, a sexual sin. It may be a lie. It may be a betrayal. Maybe a cheat. Maybe we didn't do something we should have done. And that haunts us somehow. And the devil loves to remind us of those things. And in one sense, it's right to be conscious of our ongoing sins, um, to confess them, to repent them, because Christ paid the price for every one of our sins. Um, and to take them seriously is to help us grow spiritually. But having confessed, we don't need to carry the guilt of those sins around with us. We can leave it at the cross. Christ has dealt with them. He's wiped it away. God remembers those sins no more. We don't need to feel guilty. Secondly, we don't need to prove that we are worthy of Christ's perfect sacrifice. If you've seen a film, Saving Private Ryan, the, uh, the mother of Private Ryan, um, she lost three of her four sons in the Second World War. And a team was sent to bring back her, her fourth son, who was still fighting, who was still in action. And in the process of, of saving him, most of the team lost their lives. And as the captain in charge of the rescue mission um, lies dying, um, his last words to, to Private Ryan were, earn this, earn it. And at that, he dies. He's saying, earn it, not to let the lives of those men go to waste and the last scene in the film takes us um, many years uh, later when Ryan and his children and his grandchildren are visiting a graveyard, a cemetery where Captain John Miller is buried and uh, with tears in his eyes he, he asks his wife have I done enough to earn it he's carried that burden throughout his whole life of having to earn it Now, we cannot earn Christ's salvation, but we don't have to. And nearly every other human religion has some element of human doing in it, some sort of human sacrifice for people to earn their salvation. What makes Christianity different is it it's about what God has done for us. It's about a free gift of salvation that we just need to receive and accept. And if we try and repay a free gift, then it denigrates the value of that gift. Thirdly, we don't need to worry about our relationship with God. The guilt of sin has been dealt with, but as we said, we will still experience the presence of sin. We will still do things wrong in our lives, and that can discourage us if we constantly let God down. It may make us question whether we've truly been saved, whether we really have a relationship with God. But Jesus' sacrifice means we now have an eternal relationship with God that nothing can break. And we can rejoice in that. So finally, two things we we can do. We can rejoice that Jesus has won the ultimate battle over sin. In that daily fight against sin, there will be times when we might feel we're losing the battle. But we don't need to despair because the ultimate victory has been won by Jesus at the cross. Satan has been defeated. And finally, we can live a life of gratitude for what Christ has done. 
And living a life of gratitude is different from a living a life where we try and prove ourselves worthy. If we try and prove ourselves worthy, it's somehow implying that Jesus saved us begrudgingly. That he questioned whether it was really worth it. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And he died for us because he wanted to. Because he loves us. And he's most pleased with us when we are are grateful to him rather than when we try and prove ourselves to him. And the greatest way in which we can show our gratitude is by trusting him and by obeying him. So let's have just a moment of quiet to reflect on those things, reflect on Jesus' perfect sacrifice, maybe where our heart is, what we're thinking, what we're feeling at the moment. Um, maybe there is guilt to where we, we, we feel it's just a burden to us. Take it to the cross, give it to, to Jesus, and leave it there. Maybe we are somehow trying to prove ourselves to God. Again, rejoice in what he's done for us. And show him your gratitude in the way you live your life. A moment of quiet just to, to do business with God. And then the band will lead us in a couple of um, songs to respond to what we've heard this morning.